You're listening to Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO. I'm your host, Andy Bates. Thanks for joining me today. We have some great guests lined up uh, for a great topic. Confirmation. We, uh, we, For many people, that, that, that probably happened just in the last few months here for many congregations. But some uh, have confirmation throughout the year. Some uh, may not even be uh, using that, that word confirmation. They might have a, a, another specific event in, uh, in a person's life to... Um, uh, to uh, as a milestone when it comes to uh, their faith and their confession. And uh, so we're going to talk about confirmation today, take a look at the history of it. Uh, how do we approach confirmation? We'll talk with Dr. Mark Blanke, professor of education at Concordia University, Nebraska, and uh, the Reverend Dr. Marvin Bergman from Concordia University, Nebraska, and the LCMS Nebraska District on some research, uh, a survey that uh, he conducted a few years ago and the results of that survey. We'll also talk with Mary Stafford. She He's a DCE in Brookfield, Wisconsin. We'll hear about her work as a director of Christian education at uh, Brookfield Lutheran Church and her involvement with uh, Christian education there as well. Hope you can join us for all the conversations. I want to say thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting this program. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin on our website. Go to kfuo.org and look for the CUW logo there in the sponsor section. Click on that. That'll take you to their page. You can find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin. And uh, from Wisconsin, we're going to head on over to Concordia University, Nebraska. Dr. Mark Blanke is professor of education, the DCE program director, director of strategic planning and the university institutes, also director of Institute for Religious Education. And sometimes he sleeps uh, in between all those other things that he does. Uh, Dr. Mark Blanke, welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be here. <laughs> How many hats do you wear? Was it five? Six? Yeah, well, it, it depends on the day, but uh, usually trying to keep a low profile in most of my interactions. <laughs> Tell us about your work as an educator. Um, I worked at a at a parish for uh, about ten years as a DCE, and I also was a, a principal uh, of a school startup. Uh, out in California, and then uh, went to Concordia River Forest, where or Concordia Chicago now, where I served as the DC program director, and then uh, arrived here, well, 20 years ago now, and served as the DC program director here and uh, uh, professor of education. As I recall, you left River Forest right as I was uh, a new student at River Forest, and I remember all the the current DCE students talking about uh, Mark Blanke and how great he was. And then, then when my wife studied with you at Concordia University, Nebraska, then I got to hear more about how wonderful dark Dr. Mark Blanke is. And and uh, it, I think one of the the key things that many students learn from you in the Director of Christian Education program uh, is is this. This, this point in Christian education uh, that we call confirmation. Uh, tell us, what do we know about uh, the, the history of confirmation, the purpose of confirmation? Well, that's a, actually an excellent question that kind of sets up our, our interpretation of it. it. Historically, we really don't have a um, directive, biblical directive, to do confirmation uh, in the form that we're presently doing it. I mean, we are always instructed through scriptures to to guide and direct and instruct others, and so catechesis, or the process of bringing someone up in the faith, is is something that we're to be about, uh, but the scriptures don't uh, specifically mention uh, confirmation, especially as we practice it. Now, the Catholic Church has interpreted it 
way back in uh, oh, the 15th century. They defined it as, a, as actually a sacrament. And they have a couple of verses from Acts that they believe kind of uh, focus on confirmation as a biblically directed uh, experience that needs to be uh, focused on. But really, when Luther came along, um, he didn't hold it in such high regard, and primarily because he didn't believe it was it was uh, directed by Scripture. And one of his comments was that, uh, feel free to do confirmation, but as long as you don't say that God tells you you have to do it. And uh, he also made a comment about what the bishops and and Pope says about it is entirely false. So, it, so he, contrary to what a lot of Lutherans believe, uh, Luther did not really take a position that we have to initiate uh, a confirmation process that ends in a rite, as we often do in our churches. Um, but he, he certainly wasn't opposed to the idea, but he wasn't someone that really entered into this idea of a, a, a formatted two-year program for 7th and 8th graders that <laughs> ended in a confirmation rite. What is, well, that that kind of brings us up to today as well. What is confirmation today in uh, in Lutheran circles in the Lutheran Church? Well, there's a couple of definitions that kind of drive what confirmation is. Um, and there was a, a study that was done actually in the late 60s, and a report on that study came out in, in 1970 that gave it a particular definition of confirmation. And um, there's also a definition that's in the small catechism for confirmation. And most of those definitions, anyway, um, uh, talk about the process of bringing uh, uh, someone up into the, the church so that they are connected more with the mission and ministry of the church and participate more fully in that. So really, the the definitions that we operate with talk about trying to integrate somebody into a better into the mission and ministry of the church and be more active in that i believe that most information indicates that in many congregations it's kind of a primer uh in our in our doctrines and so we take that opportunity for for 7th and 8th graders or sometimes different ages uh, to bring them up to speed, at least in the basics of our understanding of, of the doctrine of our church. And um, uh, that's an admirable goal, but it, it doesn't necessarily lead to someone being um, integrated into the life and the mission of the church. That would be a slightly different process, of which confirmation may be one step of that, but it, it uh, isn't really the entire process of bringing somebody up into the mission and ministry of the church. So how did we get from what was practiced in the Roman church and, and Martin Luther's views on that, uh, that it's, it's adiaphora, it's, it's not mandated in scripture. Uh, how did we get from there to the, those you know, few definitions that we have today? Well, <laughs> it, it's taken on a kind of a, a strange shaping from societal perspectives and from theological perspectives and and from just common practices that seem to work. Some of the things, for example, the the idea of a rite uh, with you know um, robes and, uh, and giving of a certificate and things like that really are more societal. They've kind of branched out of what we see from graduation ceremonies. In fact, there's a lot of concern that some of those practices 
might, you know, unintentionally convey to our youth that when I'm done with my confirmation experience, I'm done with my educational experience in the church. Because we wrap mm-hmm. it in some of these uh, um, societal trends that, that really convey a completion. And so um, th- that's influenced it. Some, some would argue that the seventh and eighth grade time period that, that I think 70 or 80 percent of our Lutheran churches use that age group to, um, uh, to, to do their confirmation programming really emerged from the fact that 100 and so years ago, that was when formal education ended. Mm-hmm. And so we had it at that stage. Uh, so there's been influencers. Melanchthon had a different perspective of confirmation than Luther had and influenced some of the practices then. And it just really kind of has become an amalgamation of all sorts of different influencers that have made it what it is today. So societal influences, uh, pragmat, pragmatism, you know, just sure. if it works, then, then do it. Uh, yeah. a, a, a number of different influences, um, and some from, uh, from, uh, within the church and some from, as you said, without, you know, outside the church, other church traditions, I'm sure have, have influenced it along the way. Mm-hmm. How did we get to the seventh and eighth grade? Do you, th- do you think because, uh, like you said, a hundred years ago, that was th- that was really kind of the, the 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 end of formal education for most children? Seventh, eighth grade, somewhere around there, would have been the, the end of their formal education. It, do you think that that's really where we got the seventh and eighth grade well, time I frame? That, I think that's got a connection. I mean, the the earliest reference to anything that resembles confirmation was actually the dismissal following baptism so it was it was the process of affirming or confirming mm-hmm. that the person that has been baptized is now a part of the mission ministry of the church and so so that happened you know for some as adults and some as as children and infants and so that's when it started and then it kind of tried to find a um Maybe a path of least, least resistance. Um, it, it, it turns out today that that even though the 1970 study, for example, strongly recommended that confirmation start earlier um, and end later, they recommended a 10th grade uh, completion. But many in congregations kind of. Uh, stayed away from that uh, lengthening of confirmation because they really said, you know, this is the time that that we can we can actually access these children and be able to to influence them and and they're willing to come in and be a part of our experience so some of it was even driven by just the practical application of a concept and there there was concern and still is i think by some congregations that if we would attempt to go with a later confirmation uh, process that continues on uh, we're going to lose a lot of the, the um, children that we would mm-hmm. be able to get. In fact, you're going to have a discussion with Mary Stafford, and um, uh, her congregation has put into place a, a different format that does go later, and there is a, a later component that that incorporates the use of of the uh, high school uh, youth into that process. 
what do you think as an educator, especially when we look at uh, contemporary, you know, current research when it uh, on uh, educational methods, educational psychology, um, from the from an, a professional educator's perspective, seventh and eighth grade is that an ideal time for an intense formal education uh, instruction uh, in matters of faith, and then a uh, a a right or, or a special order and recognition of completion of that instruction. Seventh and eighth grade, is that the ideal time to do that? Uh, no. <laughs> a simple answer to that question. It depends, it depends on what you're trying to achieve again. Mm-hmm. If, if you've transitioned to saying this is going to be a, uh, a primer or an, or an indoctrination into our doctrine, uh, it's, it's fine, but we have to take into account that the majority of 7th and 8th graders are unable to understand abstract concepts. Piaget told us that, and it's been supported in a lot of further data. In fact, there was a book written um, oh, back in, I think, 74, How Different Are People Who Attend Lutheran Schools, by Milo Brecky, and it was, it was actually looking at Lutheran education. And uh, they found that the, that if someone is going to attend a Lutheran day school experience uh, just for a short period, the worst time for them to attend is seventh and eighth grade. And Brecky made a comment uh, in his in his book saying, uh, you know, this seems to have a detrimental effect on on uh, individuals' faith development, which should lead us to ask the question about what's the the what's the um, uh, the reasonableness or what's the rationale for targeting our confirmation instruction at the same ages. So if any of the concepts being taught are abstract, the majority of the listeners, the learners, are incapable of understanding that. And when we look at concepts like the real presence, uh, the Trinity, these are very abstract concepts. Um, you're going to also interview Dr. Bergman, mm-hmm. His research found that um, he did a wonderful thing in his research where he actually asked new confirmads what they understood. And and one of the things that they didn't understand was the real presence. And all of the all of the uh, pastors and leaders had indicated this was a major focus point for their confirmation programs, but yet only one-third of the respondents of the confirmands actually understood the Lutheran concept of the real presence. And it's not their fault, and it's not the fault of the instructors. It's the fact that they are incapable of really grasping uh, abstract concepts. And so they would fall into either Reformed or a, a Catholic perspective of, of, the, real pre- of the presence in, in communion. Mm-hmm. And that's because they can't understand those concepts. So if we're using confirmation as a indoctrination into our doctrines and as a, as a primer into our doctrines, it really isn't a good time. It, it, it would be at a very appropriate time to focus on uh, biblical history, uh, kind of a, a progression of what's taken place biblically and including the confessions. But uh, abstract doctrinal concepts should not be targeted at that age group. What about at a younger age? What what could happen uh, in terms of 
um, instruction and uh, teaching. You mentioned that you know the seventh and eighth grade biblical history is certainly that that's a great thing to teach at that time. What about a younger age? Is what can we do with uh, say what can we be teaching with say elementary age, first grade through fifth grade? Yeah, it's a, it's it really. Um a progression of of concepts and uh the the study again from seventy said uh you know we start we should have first communion at fifth grade uh and then go on to confirmation at tenth grade and one of the characteristics of a fifth grader is if you would tell that person. Um, you know, here you're receiving Christ's body and blood in, with, and under the bread and the wine. The fifth grader will say, okay. <laughs> they just uh, they acknowledge it, they, uh, they accept it, uh, whereas the seventh and eighth grader will go, well, I don't quite understand that. I don't process it. So if we're going to cover certain concepts that may not even be abstract, or even if there is a need to, to get into some abstractions of, of the Trinity or some of these other components, um, best to mention those, but to revisit those again later on in the process. That's why the 70 study said longer and later, you know, that they wanted it to cover some time so you could revisit concepts as you uh, moved ahead. But, uh, but history of the church, history, you know, biblical stories, um, those, those issues are very easily managed and handled by third, fourth, fifth, and up through eighth grade, um, and, and are foundational to your integration and activity in the church. So they'd be very appropriate at that age group. How important is it for us to consider our methods, our approach to catechesis, confirmation, integration into congregational life? Well, it, uh, the church is an open system, and by that I mean it's, it's, uh, it, it has a constant message that isn't influenced by society and developmental characteristics and all of those things. The message is Christ, Christ crucified and risen, and, and uh, who died for us and, and brings us to salvation. But we're an open system in that we're influenced by the realities of the world that God has created around us, and uh, if developmentally God has created his children uh, to develop, develop mentally uh, at a certain rate and a certain pace, I, I think it's incumbent on us to take that into consideration when we're doing our, our process. And research shows that really um, if our goal is to have a group of people who understand and participate in the life and mission of the Lutheran Church, we are ineffective in that. I mean, that's just a that's just a bare you know statistical um, fact. In that you know, if we're if we're hoping that our children understand the basic doctrines based on their confirmation experience, Bergman's research indicates they're not understanding some real central tenets of our faith. And if our goal is to have them participate in the mission of the church, we know from research done by the Institute for Religious Education that pastors report that about 40 to 50 percent of of their youth that were confirmed are still active in their church four years later. So our retention rate after four years is only uh, uh, 40 to 50 percent of our of our youth. So if our goal is we want them to be more active in the life and mission of the church, we're 
it just statistically, we're ineffective in that. We have to make some adjustments somehow to become more effective in doing what we do. And confirmation is a great opportunity. Uh, parents as well as youth see this as, as the most important educational experience to participate in. And so they're committed. They'll, they'll participate. They'll be there. They'll put out the energy and the effort. It's, it's our duty to make it as, as valuable and as effective as possible. I'm glad you, you mentioned parents. Where are, going back to Luther and uh, his thoughts on confirmation, on catechesis instruction and, and confirmation, where are parents in this picture? What, what role do parents play in confirmation? Well, there's, there's a little bit of a of discussion about that in terms of uh, whether parents should be doing all of the confirmation instruction and the church should be supplementing that or whether the church should do it. Or, and really, Luther, um, I interpret Luther as saying parents should be doing instruction in the home, and here's the small catechism to aid you in that process. But the church should also be doing it, and in Luther's day, Luther also felt that the school should be doing it too. And so he really saw it as a as a threefold approach. Um, the unfortunate thing, Andy, is that that uh, um, actually Bergman's research also showed that on some issues, uh, parents don't have an altogether um, correct or Lutheran perspective of some of our central doctrines. Uh, and to tie this back into the research by Milo Brecky, he said, if we teach um, doctrinal truths uh, too early, um, people will take a certain understanding of that and they'll anchor or they'll, uh, they'll affix their understanding at really an immature stage and they're unlikely to change it later on. And so we've, if we don't intensify our adult education in the church, um, the likelihood that our homes will be able to be places where parents can really instruct and and be a part of you know a partner with us with the church and with our Lutheran schools and our educational process, they have to increase in their understanding and their ability to teach effectively also who can who can assist pastors, congregations, parents? Um, I think the the resources are there for every church to enhance what it's doing in confirmation. I think that's already in place uh, in in you know the research that's out there, the resources that are available through CPH and other entities. Um, you know, those things are there. The the basic building blocks. I think it takes um, a church to be able to first sit down and say, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish through our confirmation experience? How well are we doing at it? Where are, deficiencies, where are our deficiencies and how do we correct those? And in that process, they involve family, they involve parents, they involve others, and, and accessing their district offices and saying, what do you have? What, what, you know, who do you have in the district that might be able to assist us in this process? DCEs have a specific training in terms of enhancing the educational process. If there's a DCE in the area that could be brought in as a consultant, um, uh, you know, pastors obviously have the theological knowledge base to know the content material, but they may need some assistance in saying, how do I teach effectively with this age group? They probably have teachers in their, in their churches. Uh, those teachers might be public school teachers and not have the 
understanding of the theology, but they certainly know methodology very well. And for pastors to say, how do I, you know, take this up and ramp it up at this, whatever age we're targeting, what our outcomes are, how do we make, how do we do this better? I think uh, we could all improve, at least in terms of what we're doing. Well, thank you, Dr. Blocky. Uh, great uh, insights on confirmation. It's, I think, a, a conversation hopefully we can continue in the future as well. Uh, I really appreciate all that you've shared with us today. And thanks for the work in, in uh, preparing and training uh, future DCEs to serve and support uh, pastors and parents, congregations in this venture. No, thank you, Andy, and thanks for putting this in the spotlight. It's a much-needed discussion in our church. You bet. God bless you. Dr. Mark Blanke, Professor of Education, DCE Program Director, Director of Strategic Planning and University Institutes, and Director of Institute for Religious Education at Concordia University, Nebraska. Coming up in just a little bit, we'll talk with the Reverend Dr. Marvin Bergman from the LCMS Nebraska District and Concordia University, Nebraska, as well, on some research. Uh, the His study uh, survey he conducted a few years ago on uh, confirmation. You're listening to Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO. A long-standing tradition at Worldwide KFUO is to broadcast two Sunday morning worship services for those unable to attend or who wish to benefit from hearing God's Word on KFUO or online. From Ascension Lutheran Church in South St. Louis, Pastor Matthew Clark leads the worship service at 8 a.m. The live late service at 10.30 comes from Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fenton, Missouri, where Reverend Mark Sell presides at worship. Hear the message of mercy and forgiveness Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. Are you pregnant? There's an app for that. Literally, there are several applications for your phone to assist you through pregnancy. One was designed by board-certified OBGYNs and features daily tips. You'll even have access to a message board to get answers to pressing questions. Another app shows a 3D image of your baby. You can also take prenatal and postnatal classes, including Lamaze. Want to know more about nutrition, milestones in your baby's development, or need a contraction timer? Yes, there's an app for all of these and more. Pregnancy can be a magical time for parents, but it can also be a challenging time depending upon your circumstances. We all need a little help along the way, so visit today's broadcast link at lifeissues.org for more details. Like us on Facebook at Life Issues and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. You're listening to Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO. I'm your host, Andy Bates. Joining me by phone today, the Reverend Dr. Marvin Bergman with the LCMS Nebraska District and Concordia University, Nebraska. Dr. Bergman, welcome to Faith and Family. Happy to be aboard, Andy. I'm looking forward to chatting with you about confirmation today, discussing the topic, uh, uh, the, which has been the topic of, of your research. Uh, before we get into the report that uh, and, and the work that you did just a few years ago, share with us a little bit about your background as as a, a pastor and an educator. Sure. Graduate of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and then I did a year of graduate work at the Presbyterian School of Christian Education in Richmond, Virginia. 
Then I accepted a call as a uh, church planter in a Detroit suburb, spent uh, seven years, and then I spent three years in graduate study at Columbia University and Union Seminary in New York City. And then in 1970, received a call from Concordia, then College, Seward, Nebraska. <laughs> so we've been in Seward ever since. How has how has confirmation been uh, an important part of your 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 service and your ministry? My own confirmation was very meaningful. Uh, I was I made uh, <clears throat> the uh, confession of faith and confirmation at age thirteen. And that was a very memorable day, and I remember the process as well. We learned the Bible, learned the stories, and learned the meanings of the chief parts of, the Luther's, of Luther's Catechism. And so I think that experience really provided a good, solid foundation. And then in my pastor ministry, I detected a high level of interest and in confirmation among our parents, and so I was just delighted to work with their young people. And so I've always had a great experience uh, with confirmands. Well, let's talk about your work uh, a few years ago. I believe it was around 2010 you published a, a report on yes. uh, confirmation, what's happening in confirmation in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. What prompted your study? Uh, just many, many questions. I led a confirmation academy here in the Nebraska district, and uh, I found that pastors were asking lots of questions and searching for ways of being more effective in their confirmation ministries. So I said, why not find out what's happening? So I applied for a grant, and through Thrivent, we received a sum of money to do the research, and this research was also contributed to by uh, Terry Dittmer and his youth people there in St. Louis, as well as the Nebraska District, uh, and uh, one other partner uh, whom I can't remember, but we had three partners plus Thriven, so we had the funds to do the study. And, and so, you, who did you survey in this study? We, uh, I worked with the director of statistics uh, in St. Louis, and he did a random sample of uh, 500 pastors of our congregation. So we have about uh, uh, about one sixth of the pastors that are represented in, in the study. And then I contacted each pastor by telephone asking for their uh, permission to be engaged in the study, and I solicited their involvement in administering the 11-page uh, survey instrument. And so we began with the pastors, and then they provided the names of confirmands and their parents, and then I also asked for names of uh, high school graduates who had experienced confirmation, and uh, we went from there. And what were you hoping to learn in your research as you surveyed these these individuals? What were the questions you were asking? What is it you were hoping to gain? Sure. I wanted to learn about, about the strengths as perceived by the uh, <clears throat> respondents. I wanted to learn more about how they saw the challenges involved in confirmation. I tried to identify some of the issues, some of the hard problems, some of the opportunities for change, uh, best practices in confirmation ministry. So through uh, data analysis, I was able to, uh, I think, achieve a level of competence in responding to these questions. 
And so give us an idea of uh, uh, some of the questions that uh, that were put out there. I, I enjoyed looking through the the, uh, the executive report that you've provided, and uh-huh. there are a lot of questions in there. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Here's a sample. Uh, when is a confirmant invited for the first time to Holy Communion? Prior to the rite, during the rite, after the rite of confirmation, or when one is ready? <clears throat> and so... The responses really vary uh, a lot. Uh, For example, among DCEs, about a third uh, invite confirmands, uh, that is, their congregation invites confirmands prior, about a third during the rite, about a third after the rite. So we had a spread of responses to that type of question. And what was most surprising as you... As you gained, you know, as you received the results back, what was most surprising as you were reading through that? Well, uh, number one, there really are some strengths in our confirmation ministries. Here are some examples. In terms of the importance ascribed to confirmation, 98% of the parents said confirmation for my son or daughter is either very important or important. Uh, 80% of our pastors are personally involved in confirmation. Uh, Back to the parents, 90% of the parents said they are happy and very willing to invest two years of uh, engaging their youth in a confirmation experience. Uh, 93% of the confirmants said that uh, they are receiving lots of help through their confirmation experience. Ninety-seven percent said that their congregation really cares for them. And so there are a number of strengths identified in these very positive responses to various facets of confirmation ministry. How can we use this, and, 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 and perhaps it's already been used, the, the results from this survey, how can they serve pastors, and we'll talk about parents and educators as well, how can this information that you gained in this research benefit well, pastors? That's a good question. I've made presentations in about seven, six or seven district conferences or, or conferences or uh, educational events of various kinds. Uh, one of my uh, intentions was to summarize all of this for a series of articles, which did not happen. And so I have the um, study results available. Uh, We had it uh, identified through the Nebraska District for a couple of years online. Mm -hmm. So we have the data available online, and so if people are interested, they can contact me, and I'll be happy to send the results. And so my email address would be marv, M-A-R-V dot, Bergman, B-E-R-G-M-A-N, at C-U-N-E dot E-D-U, marv.bergman at C-U-N-E dot E-D-U. I'll be happy to share the study. That's very generous of you. Thank you for your willingness to share that. Marv.bergman at C-U-N-E dot E-D-U. We can get the... Uh, some information, some of the results of that survey, and uh, learn more. And that certainly would be helpful to pastors. What do you think parents can walk away from this uh, this research with? What 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 did you glean from this that would be helpful for parents? Uh, let me see. A couple of things come to mind. Uh, I think uh, their awareness, their awareness of the importance, is very clear. 
not all parents were sure that uh, the confirmation ministries were achieving their goals. Um, a number did ask questions such as, what are the goals of confirmation ministry? Another question that they asked was, uh, how are we assessing the outcomes in confirmation ministry? And so I think greater clarity on the part of what's happening in confirmation and here's what we're doing to achieve the goals could probably put some parents at ease in terms of confirmation ministry really doing its job. And other educators, DCEs and those who who serve uh, alongside with pastors, anything that you think would be specifically helpful for them? I think so. Uh, We did survey uh, a number of confirmation leaders who are serving what we call exemplar confirmation ministries. I asked the uh, 35 district uh, education executives to name five congregations that are really doing a good job in confirmation ministry. So we surveyed 90 of those so-called exemplar leaders, and uh, I think those folks uh, generally were more satisfied with their confirmation ministries, and uh, they reflected higher levels of achievement. And so DCEs especially uh, were among those so-called exemplar confirmation leaders. And so I think there are a number of findings that DCEs could find useful. Well, very good. Very good. What do you think, uh, based on what you learned from your research from this study, what do you think the future of confirmation looks like? I know that no one can you know, tell the future, but what are, your, what are some things that you're hopeful about, about the future of confirmation? Well, number one, <clears throat> I think we'll have to really assess the priority and number two, the strategy. Uh, like you know, schedules are always, always a challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, schedules uh, involving a time to meet uh, were constantly named by pastors as among their frustrations, if you will. And so I think we need to help parents realize, even though they say confirmation is very important, we have to help them actualize and live out that intention. So what's the priority that you're going to give confirmation ministry in the life of your son or daughter? Number two, how are we going to achieve the goals of confirmation? I think there's a search today in terms of strategies, in terms of integrating the social media in confirmation ministry, in terms of using technology. For example, one of our pastors here in Nebraska engages in a practice which he calls the flip classroom. He prepares a video uh, for each session, sends the streams of video to confirmands and their parents. Confirmands and parents work through the video at home. They respond on paper to some of the questions. They bring their work to the next class, and then the next class involves working through their responses so that instead of the lecture being presented in class, the basic information is communicated on video and then processed with parents, and then the findings are brought to the class. I think uh, that's a symptom, symptom of what pastors are looking for. They're looking for more engaging ways to involve young people and their parents. 
Well, very good. Well, thank you, Dr. Bergman, for your time today and for sharing with us uh, on the your study, the What's Happening in Confirmation in the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod from August 2010. Very helpful resource. Again, uh, listeners, if you're interested, you can email Dr. Bergman, marv.bergman at cune.edu, and he'd be happy to share that resource with you. Dr. Bergman, thanks for being our guest on Faith and Family today. Thanks for the opportunity. pastors, one an Italian wise guy and the other a Ukrainian academic. What happens when you put them in the same room with no script and a bunch of sound effects? Well, you're just going to have to tune in to find out. The God Whisperers on Worldwide KFUO, Thursdays from 2 to 3 p.m. Central. They're fun-loving, a little off the wall, but always solidly Lutheran. You will learn something every time or double your money back. It's okay to enjoy being Lutheran. MacArthur's Bakery would like you to know that hunger doesn't take a day off at Feed My People. You can help them fight hunger and have fun doing it. Feed My People's annual door-to-door food drive will be the first two Saturdays in June. Volunteer to help collect food donations for the food pantry. Sunday, June 14th, sample food from top chefs, including MacArthur's Bakery, at the Food Pantry Chef Challenge. Sunday, July 19th is Feed My People Day at the ballpark. Information on these events is online at feed-my-people.org. Let Worldwide KFUO help you get the word out about your next church, school, or organization event. By including your event in the KFUO datebook, it will be announced on the air throughout the day. Send your event information via email to JennyW at KFUO.org. That's J-E-N-N-Y-W at KFUO.org. Or call 314-996-1515. Be sure to include date, time, location, and contact information. The KFUO datebook is a public service of listener-supported Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Hi, this is Rich Robertson, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. We are excited to walk alongside Lutheran Church Missouri Synod members and ministries as they witness and perform works of mercy and compassion around the world. Investments with LCEF provide the exceptional financial resources used daily to build faith communities and serve God's people. Our loans and ministry support services are available to LCMS congregations, schools, and organizations, as well as rostered church workers. Visit LCEF today. The world is the mission field of Worldwide KFUO. We bring the gospel of Christ to all nations. Worldwide KFUO reaches countries where missionaries on the ground can't go. Christ called us to proclaim the gospel to all nations. And that's what we do here every day at Worldwide KFUO. If our mission and worldwide outreach is important to you, would you please prayerfully consider supporting Worldwide KFUO at KFUO.org. You're listening to Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO. I'm your host, Andy Bates. Joining me for this segment, Mary Stafford. She's a DCE, the Director of Life in Jesus Development at Brookfield Lutheran Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin. Mary, welcome to Faith and Family. It's great to have you with us and uh, talking about life in Jesus at Brookfield Lutheran Church. We're going to talk more about that here in just a little bit. Before we get to that, let's talk about your your life and work as an educator. Yeah, 
Yeah, I have um, been in church work here for about 25 years. Um, I have served at two congregations, one in Illinois, uh, northern Illinois, and and then my current congregation in uh, southern Wisconsin, and it's been a joy and distinct calling on my life, and has been a privilege to be able to serve in this way with with the people of the local church. Well, very good. Very good. Tell us about, uh, uh, your title intrigues me, Director of Life in Jesus Development at Brookfield Lutheran Church. And as I as, uh, learned a little bit more about your congregation there, uh, life in Jesus is a common theme as, uh, as you uh, learn and discuss uh, Brookfield Lutheran Church. Tell us about this, life in Jesus. Yeah, it's actually um, our philosophy of ministry here and that we take a discipleship approach. And a true disciple is someone that is connected to the full eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. And um, so my role here at Brookfield Lutheran is to develop the resources that our church can do to support our members as well as our guests um, to be growing as an active disciple of Christ and um, to help them along that discipleship journey that they are on. And so hence comes out to a life in Jesus development director um, as we continue to take a look at that path and um, look at the ways that we can resource and be a support to our members in um, an ever-changing world um, and help them to be able to have responses as well as practices in their life um, that they can grow as a disciple of Christ. Very good. Today, our our conversation uh, is focused mainly on confirmation, this this, uh, tradition, if you will, in the Lutheran Church. What what does confirmation mean? Does that word have meaning uh, of any kind at Brookfield Lutheran Church? Does it, what does confirmation mean to, to you, to members, to the pastors at Brookfield Lutheran Church? Well, certainly we believe in confirmation um, as a process that is very intentional um, in, in working with students, usually um, uh, students at the junior high, high school level, um, to help them to grow in their faith and discover mm-hmm. um, what it is that they are being brought up in and their parents are, are bringing them to uh, a Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, um, to be a part of it. You know, what do we believe? Mm-hmm. Where do we find this? Um, what is the biblical basis for that? Um, however, we have veered away from using the, the term confirmation um, to use more of the word discipleship. Uh, we really love the concept which we truly believe in that our our discipleship journey is from cradle to grave. And so it's not something that just ends at a particular time or, you know, check X, Y, and Z off of your list and you're good and you don't need to worry about it mm-hmm. anymore. Um, we want them to understand that this is um, a daily journey with Christ and an ever-growing one, and um, especially during the developmental years of, of children and youth, we take a strong um, approach in where they're at developmentally and help them to have age-appropriate um, experiences and learning that are going to help them navigate through life. Um, but we don't think that learning ends at the end of, of high school or even college, but that they need to keep focused on that discipleship journey all throughout their life and as an adult and what that means through the various stages of life. And so it really is a big approach um, that we have with all of our members, but um, we have a very 
specific and intense program that we originally put in for our youth, um, grades of fifth grade through 12th grade, and then we extended that um, through three-year-olds moving into that fifth grade. Um, So it's been very much a journey for us (laughs) alone um, to think about what that would take, what's important, what's of value, um, how we can resource not only the children but their their families. Mm -hmm. We believe that um, the home is the primary faith nurturing for um, for families and for students, and we want to be a resource to the parents and to um, the students um, through our church, but so that they can continue those faith conversations at home, knowing that that's where the most pivotal influence is, actually. So this is, a, as you said, from cradle to grave, this is a lifelong uh, faith. This is a, yeah. faith is a gift from God, as we as we confess in the the creed. Uh, where what, what does that look like in in terms of life of Jesus and the, the nurture and the support that you provide for for parents? Um, let's start with uh, a, a couple finds out that they're expecting a child, and uh, what do those first few years look like um, for them? What uh, in terms of of education, nurture, and the the support that you provide for them? Sure. We already start working on um, resourcing their home, um, helping them to think about, you know, what as parents um, of, of a child, what what do we believe? Are we on the same page with what we believe? How do we plan to raise our child? What are the beliefs that we wish to instill in them? And what resources do we need in order to um, do that? And so we have... Um, uh, adopted the Faith Legacy series that was originally put out by uh, Kids Count Publishing um, from King of Kings Lutheran in Omaha, and um, it really starts right there. And we help them build a faith chest, and in that faith chest, um, they're going to be placing things through the years that are going to help them to be able to share faith with their children and resources that they're going to use to share faith with their children, um, be able to express their faith. So that's probably the place that we start the best, and it's really an exciting time, though I'm sure it can be stressful um, (laughs) if parents haven't had a chance to think about that. Hopefully they did um, as they were getting married, but um, it's a great time to have those conversations of like, okay, so this is happening. What are we going to do and how are we going to be intentional about it? And so that's great. Um, and when the children reach um, three years of age, they kind of enter our formal um, education discipleship processes. And so we start having classes for the three- and four-year-olds, and then kindergarten, and then first through fourth grade. Um, And we are very relational in our congregation, and we make that a part of our our resourcing and our programs, too. And so we do a lot of small group interactions within our our discipleship processes, that whole concept of Mm -hmm. life on life, being able to share what a life um, centered in Christ looks like um, to a growing disciple. As children continue to grow, do they interact with uh, not just their peers but others in the congregation as part of this this nurture and and teaching? 
Yes, absolutely. And so parents are very active and um, involved in helping lead some of these um, opportunities. But along with that, um, the, the kids have exposure and start building relationships with others in the congregation, too. And that is just so sweet to see that they have other people that are expressing that their faith in Jesus Christ is important, too. And um, and so they see, oh, it's not just my family, it's just, just my mom and dad. There's other people that um, believe the same things we believe. And that's really neat to see those relationships grow through the years and um, how kids stay connected with different teachers and small group leaders. Yeah. What has uh, what have you learned that is important to the families you serve in uh, this uh, as director of life and Jesus development? I think that they are really challenged in our world today that this belief in Jesus as their savior is true and is valuable and has power. And so um, any way we can come alongside of them and say, you are doing an awesome job and you are on the right path. You are, you are um, doing the best thing for your family and the gifts that God has given you in children um, and, and being good stewards of your faith and stewards of your family um, and just that support, I think, because there's just so many challenges. There's so many things pulling for their time and um, to be able to come alongside of them and say, you made a really good choice and we are glad you are here. We are happy to serve you and let us know what we can do to help resource you and your home even more. I'm sure parents appreciate that commendation that uh, that it, you're here hearing God's word, receiving his good gifts and and uh, bringing your children to receive those good gifts, too. And that, I'm sure that I know as a parent, I, I certainly appreciate that when I get that encouragement from fellow mm-hmm. members of the congregation. Yes, absolutely. We know that sometimes it's even just a struggle to get here on Sunday morning <laughs> and they come in looking weary and it's yeah. only nine o'clock in the morning and and we're like, but you made it, and we're so glad to see you. <laughs> Keep doing that. That's so important. I, I certainly can identify with that, with a, a toddler. I know what you're saying. <laughs> it is, It's and, and I, I've certainly benefited from that, from fellow members of the, the Body of Christ, members of our congregation who have said, you know, I know it's tough. But keep doing it. Uh, you're you're in the right place. Bringing your child here to hear God's word, uh, sitting in the, you know up in the front of the sanctuary so that uh, that you can hear and uh, and so your child can hear and see. Well, I, they've encouraged me to do that, and I'm very grateful for that encouragement because um, you know quite often I'm I'm concerned about whether or not it's distracting to them, but uh, they've certainly shown me that uh, that encouragement. Mary, I, I really appreciate your time. We are all out of time for our conversation today, but thank you for sharing with us today about your work as a director of Life in Jesus Development at Brookfield Lutheran Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin. It's been great talking with you today. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for your time, too. Thank you. God's blessings. Blessings to you. Well, confirmation, Christian education, nurture, all important uh, as we we, uh, raise children in this one true faith. Thanks be to God for uh, for parents, pastors, and folks like uh, Mary and, and Dr. Bergman and Dr. Blocky for the work that they're doing so that we can do that faithfully. You've been listening to Faith and Family. Up next, Thy Strong Word on Worldwide KFUO. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. 
Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.